0: Welcome to Power Plant Radio, brought to you by Prana On. I'm Billy Simmons, and in our program, we dig deep with outstanding members of the Prana On tribe. Our guests share their personal journeys so we can all learn, benefit, and appreciate what it takes to achieve greatness. From politics to sport, nutrition to ethics, from setbacks to success, and all around good vibes, this is Power Plant Radio. Okay, welcome to Power Plant Radio, uh, episode six for this uh, season two. And uh, we're really lucky to to have a gentleman that I've uh, looked to for a lot of uh, information and advice. He probably doesn't know that, but uh, you've certainly uh, been very influential in the, mm-hmm. the plant-based world, Dr. Williams. Uh, so welcome. Thank you very much. Welcome to Australia. Great and to be here. Thank you. Welcome to Power Plant Radio. So we're uh, really pleased to, to have you because... Uh, For a lot of our our listeners and and viewers out there, they may have come across uh, your appearances in in some some pretty um, influential and uh, I think uh, very high profile documentaries. So forks over knives, um, and um, most recently there's there's been a couple of others. So uh, so welcome to to Australia. You're not here just uh, obviously for um, just for the the hot uh, the heat in 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 our beautiful summer, but you're also here to watch the tennis. Uh, the Australian Open. So, um, so, and in fact, that's kind of an interesting point as well. So uh, we've got a lot of aspiring athletes and people that, uh, follow a a lifestyle where they're pursuing fitness and, and that's certainly something you're familiar with as well, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. I I, I a long time ago at a very different level was playing professional tennis and it was enough to get me through medical school. So I didn't come out with a lot of loans. Um, uh, that was mostly teaching private lessons and winning small tournaments, uh, would actually get you more private lessons so you know it was actually well worth it um, but it gave me a connection to a sport that it turns out uh, decades later uh, has been published multiple times to have a huge mortality benefit so everybody out there who's thinking about that tennis racket in your closet pull it out is that right yeah is, is that because of
0: the cardiovascular benefits um, and it's it's not as much strain on the body as I,
1: other sports I think the first uh, publication uh, which was the Johns Hopkins Medical Group They uh, followed men in the, from the 50s and 60s. There were five sports, American sports, you know, baseball, basketball, uh, football, American football, mm. uh, golf, and tennis. And it turns out that only two sports were p- played lifetime, and that was golf and tennis. And only tennis had the mortality benefit. So then it sort of moved to Great Britain, where the British Medical Journal has uh, had multiple publications and it has to do with the longevity of the sport but the it turns out that the that it probably is completely conflicted that is or confounded by other variables that is people the the better you are at tennis the more you play and the better you are the more strategic thinker you are the Mm -hmm. more Um, You do problem solving. You're probably doing a healthier diet. You're probably wearing your seatbelt, for goodness sakes. I mean, there's all sorts of things that it it may not be the racket sports themselves. um, But it is clear that that last British Medical Journal was uh, very upfront about the fact that there are some sports that don't increase mortality. I'm sorry, that do increase mortality. And uh, running was one of them, doing long distance marathon running. But we now know that there's not only so-called troponin leak, troponin is the little enzyme that comes out when you're having a heart attack, but also uh, premature vascular calcification, meaning that you get hardening the arteries when you do those 26.2 miles. Um, That probably is a little bit more. There probably is a good dose response between the amount of exercise and the improvement in longevity, and probably doing marathons and triathlons may actually go beyond Uh, what's good
0: is that because those athletes are are pushing the the needle really quite quite to the extreme uh repetitively so if they're racing over a period of 10 years they might be doing two races per year um and and it's that that constant really um draining of the body's resources at that point in time the um the the recovery process which must drain uh, again a lot of, of the body's resources um over time that just you simply just depleted is that is that the what are well,
1: there, There's probably several different things. One is uh, that when you look at the death rate in marathoners, a lot of those are actually, particularly uh, when we see the Chicago Marathon, there's a couple of people that go down out of the mm-hmm. 10,000. Well, on a, for people who are generally fit, that's actually a large number, and it seems to be consistent. Almost all of those actually have coronary heart disease, which is one of the things that you know, we are always talking about as plant-based mm-hmm. uh, folks that if if people were doing a plant-based approach to life, there would be less plaque in the arteries. And when they were under a a big stress, such Mm. as doing a marathon, you're not less likely to have a plaque rupture or a heart attack. And so um, we have to leave some room uh, for the confounding variable that it may be the circumstance of the person doing the uh, marathon running rather than the marathon itself.
0: Sure, I like that you, you also have an open mind to accept the, the different variables that might come mm-hmm. into it as well. So, um, and, and certainly I guess one of the, the variables that we could um, really have in our favor is, is our approach to nutrition. So all things being equal, sports, whatever you know level of uh, extreme activity you do, that is gonna um, have some maybe effect later in life in terms of um, longevity and, and um, outcomes. But one of those i guess in insurance policies is your approach to nutrition and how you um, and that may lessen the odds of that particular sport because i mean these days there's there's a lot of really extreme if you like types of sports so there's crossfit's quite big Um, you've got these these different strength and conditioning and functional uh, fitness Mm -hmm. pursuits that really do push the needle Every, every workout people are taking it to that that point and it feels good there's a lot of endorphins. Uh, you get great body composition outcomes, uh, but certainly um, no one knows what, what effect that's gonna have in 20, 30 years time in, in, sure. in, in, in their lives. Um, so following a whole foods plant-based diet, that's something that um, as, a, as a tennis player, was it, was it on, on your radar to start adopting that way of eating? Or when did you start to, to notice that there was a correlation between uh, health outcomes and, um, and, and nutrition?
1: So I was in the unique position of growing up in inner city Chicago and having a mom who uh, sort of suddenly stopped going to work and started going to school. And one of her very first uh, classes uh, and when she attended a junior college as an adult, uh, and I must have been about 11 or 12 years old, uh, there was a biology class and the actual junior college professor said to the class, you should all become vegetarians because eating meat causes colon cancer. And so she came home and said, OK, you're vegetarians. That lasted um, pretty much all through my tennis career, all through medical school. Uh, and then uh, the negotiation of what is going to happen to your diet when you get married. <laughs> that ended up going to the American Heart Association diet, including chicken and fish, not knowing that I had the genetic makeup that would make the fairly high cholesterol content of chicken and fish um, uh put me at risk. Um, And so I ended up uh, with a very high LDL cholesterol. It took off uh, really seriously when I stopped coaching tennis full time. So I had a kid who was on the national circuit, uh, nationally ranked um, player. And as his coach, I was basically playing tennis twice a day. We would take off Monday if he won the tournament the previous weekend. And um, when he aged out and went to college, and all of a sudden I'm not playing tennis twice a day anymore, uh, plus aging and eating that chicken and fish, that an LDL cholesterol of 170, uh, which is really quite high. And uh, I would have, uh, I'm sure, succumbed if I did not, A, get that measurement, which mm. is something that many people do not do. Absolutely, they yeah. They really need to know what their numbers are. Mm. Um, and changed it immediately, away from the American Heart Association diet, completely plant-based. Um, I didn't measure it right away. I waited about six weeks. According to the literature, probably would have taken about two weeks to get this result. But my LDL was basically cut in half wow. uh, over that time, and so uh, it's been down in that range ever since. And um, all I really need to do is make sure that the uh, all of the risk factors are followed. Uh, I have to. The other major thing that happened uh, is that my blood pressure, which as an African American, when I started medical school, it actually did go up. That's a lot of stress. Mm, no and and I, yeah. you know, going to the University of Chicago for college, I thought it was just you know so rigorous. No. Medical school was rigorous. College <laughs> was nothing. You know, playing tennis six hours a day. That was fun. That was Yeah, but you know, when medical school was for real. Yeah. And the, the stress that I was under to try to make sure that I was going to actually make that grade um, uh, was tremendous. Blood pressure about 140 over 90. Okay. And uh, as a very young man, mm-hmm. but again, African-American where there's a lot of blood pressure. And uh, I read my physiology books, the relationship between Sodium that is salt intake and uh, blood pressure, cut it uh, out completely. Mm-hmm. Blood pressure dropped to about 128. That sounded pretty good. When I went vegan, decades later, blood pressure went to 104, and that's where it stayed. Mm. And so I really understand now the, that it's not just one risk factor. We can actually decrease diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. And if, if no one's smoking... And you really have gotten the, the basics of heart disease covered uh, mm. with plant-based nutrition,
0: which is the um, for for those that aren't aware, it is actually the number one killer uh, in uh, preventable um, diseases in both Australia and the United States. Right. So that's a, a statistic that no one can ignore. And so, so you're, you've you've um, gone through medical school and and working as a cardiologist and. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, you um, you were the the president of the American Cardi- College of Cardiology as well yep. uh,
1: for, for two years. Is that right? It's actually you're on the presidential team for four years. Okay. As, um, uh, at least with the old governance, you'd be the uh, vice president, then president elect, then president, and yes. then immediate past. Okay.
0: Wow, interesting. So that's a that's a, a huge um, achievement. Congratulations for for getting to that to that level uh, in your career, and. Right. just to go back um, for most people uh, seeing a cardiologist uh, just just to think about that that person no one goes out to see a cardiologist without first getting their numbers and getting a checkup and likely getting a referral so mm-hmm. um, that's that's typically the pathway to seeing a cardiologist so it's at that point there that um, that there and most people as you say they just don't do it they don't go get the numbers they don't know exactly where they're at until this there's, there's maybe something not quite right, right. and then it, it's it's a very it can be a very distinct and, and difficult moment because they're getting that referral then to see a cardiologist, and there there likely is some type of, of problem or there there's there's you know there's whole, there's signs that there's there's something potentially um, you know that, that's not quite right. Is that point in time? I mean, there's there's obviously a, a, a huge um, variance in terms of where people might be, but they're getting that referral and then going to see a cardiologist for a lot of people that, is that too late? Is that, uh, are they are they seeing it, uh, you know, is that a point in time where we, we've got some problems and, um, you know, there might be nutrition, certainly one one way we can combat that immediately, but, um, you know, it can often be uh, a point in time in someone's life, particularly where they're not even maybe open to, to making those changes. Um,
1: yeah. Can, can I globalize that a little bit? Yeah. You know, uh, back up the, um, the truck a little bit. It turns out that as much as we like to think that we're managing heart disease in the United States, and I'm sure it's very similar here in Australia, the majority of high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol, the, certainly the diabetes, chest pain, shortness of breath, heart failure, are actually seen by primary care doctors. Mm-hmm. And the referrals to... Uh, to cardiologists as a sub-sub-specialist really depends, unfortunately, on economics. And so we have an African-American population, a Hispanic population in our inner cities that don't have access to the specialists. Mm-hmm. And, and here in Australia, you have indigenous people. That's right. Who do not get a uh, seat to see the, uh, the um, high-level specialists. And so we have to really reach out to the primary care doctors, the family practice doctors, the general practitioners, to try to get them to understand prevention mm. and how we can do things, not just exercise and medication adherence, but actually nutrition at, at a level that helps them as and them, their families, their patients, their community, uh, and will make uh, the outcomes better for all of us.
0: Absolutely, and how receptive are the primary um, uh, carers and and um and doctors too, receiving that
1: information because- We struggle. Yeah, We okay. struggle a lot. And um, we've had big fights with them most recently, mostly in the United States about hypertension where the primary care people were thrilled at a, at a guideline that we viewed as a rogue guideline saying that 150 over 90 is the, is the target for people who are 60 years old and over. And um, I was one of the hypertension guideline folks to try to upend that. Redefined high blood pressure or as uh, anything above 130 over 9 uh, 130 over 80, right. And um, and actually uh, Saying that anything above 120 is elevated. Mm-hmm. Why is that? It's because everything above 115 Every time you go 10 millimeters higher you double the risk of a bad cardiovascular outcome in, including stroke So why wouldn't we go for lower well? The reason that people don't want to push the target really low is because of the toxicity of the drugs but we're talking about lifestyle if we if we cut the sodium increase the potassium reduce the alcohol reduce the weight we do plant-based nutrition as in the dash diet with very little animal products mostly legumes and uh, vegetables and fruits we can actually dramatically lower the blood pressure uh, the exercise on top of that and it doesn't matter so much whether it's dynamic resistance or isometric exercise. You each one of them actually mm. lowers blood pressure, and they're all additive. So by the time you've done all that, a lifestyle changes, you can get to a dramatic re- decrease in your blood pressure without having to think about the drugs. So that's really where we should be.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because most people have, have got this this view of, of just the I guess the contemporary landscape of of doctors that. Uh, they are just simply just prescribing drugs they're, they're not right. necessarily promoting a lifestyle um, off with those those different uh, factors uh, and and certainly nutrition is probably one of the last things that um, that people really have a lot of confidence in doctors prescribing um, right it's it's really interesting so that but of course that's that's on the, the preventative um, what about treatment so what about um, when when someone does find themselves in a situation where they're um, you know, there's, there's issues around high cholesterol, blood pressure. Um, you know, what, are, what are some of the evidence and some of the case studies you've seen of people just adopting some of those factors and just the change that they've had aside from yourself, of course, because yeah,
1: <laughs> indeed. So I mentioned high hypertension, um, the high blood pressure data is actually very strong, prospective randomized trials, uh, where you take a person and not all of them are vegan. Some of them are vegetarian, some of them are ovo lacto vegetarian, but the overwhelming, amount of data saying that you will have either a little bit, a lot, or a massive amount of blood pressure reduction by doing a more plant-based diet. So this data really isn't uh, isn't arguable Mm. anymore. You have a similar amount for the high cholesterol, uh, similar to what happened to me. You're getting even more data nowadays about diabetes. Diabetes can actually be controlled with several different diets, and I know that the most famous one right now is ketogenic diets. And people are doing that a lot and seeing an improvement in their diabetes. The problem is that they're going to pay a price down the road, according to all of the large uh, studies that have looked at it, that the ketogenic diet ends up increasing um, mortality. And so we would like to try to avoid that. But the fact is, there's anything that lowers your blood, lowers your body weight, particularly central obesity, will get your diabetes under better control. Uh, it's just that there are some safe ways and some not so safe ways
0: sure so keto is is one way that they're doing it what what are some of the um the the factors that that are unique to keto Mm -hmm. that later on uh, that they're you know the the outcomes aren't the same
1: oh that would be such a wonderful thing to dissect out and that's actually a lot of what i do in, in my talks i just try to pull out what are the what are the what are the underpinning factors that make it bad to eat animal products, which is basically uh, what, what's happening with the ketogenic diet. First of all, I should say, because um, I know very famously saying no one should do a ketogenic diet, I have to revise that a little bit okay. because there was a, a Lancet article in September that said very clearly, increase mortality with a ketogenic diet when it's done with animal products. And if you do it with plants, it actually doesn't increase your mortality, it actually decreases your mortality. So it's not the ketogenic diet itself that's bad, it's the animals. So, so then to answer your question, what is it? We all, we've been focused on cholesterol and saturated fat for, for so long, and there is some trans fat as mm-hmm. well. If you cook an uh, animal at high heat, there's sort of ruminant trans fats that are, that are actually in the animals themselves. But the most important things in recent times are the um, uh, heme iron, that is if you take iron from an animal, uh, it's in the blood, mm-hmm. it's in an oxidized state, and you ingest that, that actually p- gives you the opportunity to develop free radicals, oxygen free radicals um, that are actually bad for upsetting plaque and in mm. uh, causing more inflammation. Next thing you know, it's associated, the higher the iron level is associated with more heart attacks. But that probably isn't the number one one probably the number one right now is tmao that's those four little letters everybody should google it if they haven't seen it tmao exactly it's it stands for trimethylamine in oxide so it turns out as you eat animal products you're supplying yourself with choline phosphatidylcholine and that goes into your gi tract and then your the sort of microbiome as they call it the the bacteria that are in your gut take those uh, substrates and turn it into trimethylamine. You then, depending on your own genetics, will take that trimethylamine in your liver and make trimethylamine in oxide. Turns out that that stuff does several bad things. It promotes plaque, it promotes instability of plaque, and then it makes the platelets, that's the clotting elements in the bloodstream, more apt to clot. Mm. So that's a bad combination. Combination and it certainly is associated with heart attack, stroke, and death. But more recently, it's actually been associated with heart failure as well. And we're having sort of an epidemic of heart failure. Part of the epidemic is induced by cardiology that is, we're keeping them alive. We Mm. have better drugs than we ever had before. And so the death rate is going down, which means that the prevalence is going up. Um, but how about avoiding it? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And the
0: quality of life at that point <sighs> oh, is, is, is questionable as well. So they might absolutely. be alive for longer. But, um... That's right.
1: So the TMAO uh, story uh, is getting to the point where we should have a blood tests that anyone can do and find out if you're at that upper quartile. And you know, people are talking about swapping out your microbiome and using probiotics, and maybe they'll come up with an enzyme blocker to stop that last oxidation. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking just don't eat the stuff in yeah. the first place, and, and you wouldn't have this. It's been uh, very much proven that you could take a person who's on a vegan diet, measure their TMAO levels, <clears throat> they're very, very low, mm. and then you could actually feed them a huge steak, and the same steak that would make a mediator have an acute rise in their TMAO, and the vegan will not have a rise. Why? Because they don't have the bacteria right. in their GI tract to make that happen. The bacteria in a in an omnivore and a vegan are completely different. It
0: develops over time, so people time. make those changes that that gut bacteria chain. Actually, it's it's interesting you say that um, as a vegan, when you do have something that might have uh, elements of, of an animal product in it, mm-hmm. if you can't taste it and you weren't told it, you definitely know about it. You That's just exactly right. you can feel it. There's something not quite right. Um, and when, when we just talked about the keto diet, so. I think um, there's obviously, there's a right and wrong way to, to do certainly a plant-based um, diet. And with keto, it's it's really a label given to a philosophy of eating, um, which the, the the thought process behind it is to put the body in ketosis. So we, we're going to reduce our, our carbohydrates to trace amounts. We're going to simply eat um, high protein, high fat foods. Uh, we're going to use, our body's going to begin to start using uh, fats for energy and, and Synthesizing out where we need carbohydrates, it's going to have to do the work uh, to to try and um, you know fuel uh, brain energy, and it's um, they're measuring the ketones in their in their urine, and they're they're putting themselves in ketosis. But I guess um, when we talk about a keto in in a plant-based sense, uh, essentially it's it's low carbohydrates. So that's that's yeah. probably I think. Um, a less extreme version of what people, when they, they're in, they may not be going to the to the, the version of we're just going to eat flat out animal products and we're going to um, measure the ketones in our urine and we're going to get ourselves in ketosis and we're simply going to just stay there for, for years on end. Um, and I've met some people that think that that's what's happening to them. Um, you can smell it on them, um, <laughs> but it's not very sustainable. It's it's very, um, and, and the moment they have anything with carbohydrates, of course, they're, they're out of that state uh, in their, in, you know, certainly in their mind, I'm not sure exactly what physiologically is going on for them. But, um, but um, nevertheless, it, I think um, why there's probably um, good outcomes is because they're, they're making a change where they're reducing sugar, they're reducing yep. uh, certain forms of carbohydrates that whether you're vegan or not, if you're eating them, they're, they're not ideal. So I think that's probably, and they're experiencing weight loss um, and a lot of their biomarkers are probably improving because of the, by virtue, as you say, if, they're they're bringing their their lean body mass um, or their their excess body weight down. Lean body mass um, percentage is, is increasing, so better outcomes in the short term. But short term. but long term, there's um you know there's obviously these these effects taking place. Um, and I think that the keto diet is is really just the it's the Atkins reborn, isn't it? So
1: it's yeah, Atkins South Beach um, yeah carnivore diet. They're they're yeah. they're all really going after the same thing. And if we if they would just focus on the plants. So the, that Lancet article talked about the plant-based ketogenic diet being olive oil and peanut butter and the like. And it seems like it's, if people really want to do that, there is an option that will be associated with the weight loss that, that, that they're looking for. And the ketosis, which and one of the major things is appetite suppression with, ke- with ketogenic sure. diet. Uh, and if you if that's what you want, just don't do it with animals.
0: Yes, exactly. You can eat high fiber foods. They make you feel uh, fuller for longer. Um, and tell me about, um, as well, when, when you mentioned some of the, the ways to adapt a plant-based life, uh, a whole foods plant-based diet uh, for better outcomes, there was um, you know, cutting out the sodium. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about fats as well. So um, how do you, how, if you were to, to, to have fats, how, do you, um, how are you happy to have them? How are you, would you like to see them? The oil off the table, oil off the salad, that, that type of uh, approach?
1: So it's an interesting area. I know that very famously uh, you mentioned Forks Overnights. I actually wasn't in that one, but oh, I'm sorry, well, got, It's okay. There but, you, you know, go. What the Health, uh, Eating You Alive. That's right. And there's the yeah. one that came out last last week. It's uh, called Diet Fiction. That's the one. And yeah. so I've been in you know yeah. in several of them, yeah. but the people who are really in those movies, the Dean Ornishes and mm. uh, and uh, T Colin Campbell and uh, Caldwell Esselstyn. Esselston diet has no oils, and he really focuses on that. And it's a controversy because other plant-based diets do have oils. Um, There's probably a little bit of a controversy about olive oil. Why are we concerned about the lack of olive oil? Well, the Mediterranean diet, which has actually strangely been named in the United States the number one diet, um, even though the PREDIMED trial had no mortality benefit. It had a 30% reduction in events but no decrease in heart attack, no decrease in death, the 30% was stroke. And so if eating fish and eating olive oil can decrease stroke by 30%, maybe that's a good thing. Mm. Uh, the other side of it was nuts, that, and there was randomization between a lot of nuts and, and olive oil, neither of which you would do on the Esselstyn diet. So what do, what do I practice? I would be more in the Ornish camp personally with my body habitus. But for my patients, almost 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10, I'm recommending Esselstyn. Why? Because when there's a, uh, another diet guru, John McDougall, mm. uh, who famously said, the fat you eat is the fat you wear. And that is completely true. And it wouldn't matter so much whether they're long-chain vegetables, short-chain, it doesn't matter. And if you're eating fat or eating sugar, you're gonna, your weight is going to be difficult to get rid of. And so, I, you know, Esselstyn probably is the, the fastest way to, to recovery for all of these patients. We want plaque regression, and we want control of the risk factors, and that can happen when you cut the oils out of the diet. Whether or not the animal product effect of uh, oils on the blood vessels and the endothelial function actually happens with the shorter chain vegetable oils, I'd like to see more data on mm-hmm. that. Uh, to try it, but you know, the fact of the matter is, Esselstyn's got great outcomes. Ornish has great outcomes. Furman's diet has great outcomes. What do they share? There's not much or any animals in them.
0: Mm, interesting. And, and what about cholesterol? When people are, are um, consuming exogenous cholesterol, um, mm-hmm. there's that view that um, that has um, maybe perhaps in the in the short term, uh, because there, there's this camp of of uh, following carnivore diet that that yep. seems to be quite vocal. Right now, and I find it quite interesting to listen to their to their arguments, and just um, you know, it seems to be relatively new. They're they leaning on um, studies that I'm not sure if they're they're peer reviewed. They just they simply look anecdotal, and they they're using their own body composition uh, outcomes as right. as evidence that this works, and, and the fact that they're they're surviving on it. So they're not necessarily um, disclosing you know exactly how what what's going on for them health wise, but they're simply promoting that you can eat like this. Um, and, and of course their, their arguments are around this interesting about, um, fat soluble vitamin A, uh, and cholesterol is a big one. So particularly as it relates to, for males and, and testosterone levels. So right. their argument is the more cholesterol in the, the more optimal, uh, you know, ho- hormone levels and testosterone is. So amazing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's go in, in reverse. When if we look at the urology literature, then you know, and how much testosterone do you really need? Does testosterone pro- produce more coronary disease as well as the baldness? Uh, is it healthy to have more more testosterone? Probably not. Uh, there have been supplement studies, and they're really going after so many things: weight loss, erectile function. Um, you know uh, frailty, muscle strength, all sorts of things, and there are about seven of those trials that were all being reported about the same time, and they basically were sort of equivocal. Uh, do they prevent uh, prevent or pre- or promote heart disease? So we we probably need a lot more information about testosterone before saying that or uh, really pontificating that increasing it with a diet is good for you. It probably it may not be. Okay. So the the next issue, if you go back to the erectile function issue, is very clear that plant-based nutrition does better. Um, There are uh, basic science studies as well as human studies uh, that clarify that, probably because it improves nitric oxide, Mm -hmm. which then improves blood vessel function. Very simple. So then if you talk about the cholesterol itself, we really have a lot of misunderstanding. People don't understand, if I could just get everybody to understand one word, saturation, mm-hmm. saturation of what? Well, the gastrointestinal tract is actually responsible for absorbing all of the cholesterol. You eat it, you make it, it gets into your GI tract and has to be reabsorbed. And so if you are able to saturate those receptors uh, that are available for, uh, for absorption of cholesterol, then you will see no change so you could go from bacon and eggs every day to two sets of bacon and eggs every day and your cholesterol won't change much okay now when you cut it in half you'll see it drop a little bit you cut it more and the more you cut it the lower the cholesterol will be because you're no longer saturating the receptors hmm. and so there there is unfortunately a lot of literature that says that you can eat more cholesterol and it won't make a difference yeah, that's true if you're eating a lot, mm. uh, but it certainly makes a difference um, if you're able to add a, a high fiber diet. And there was an article published just yesterday in Lancet clarifying that somewhere between a 5 and 20% decrease in mortality if you have a high fiber diet. Why? Probably because it's lowering cholesterol levels. Uh, it binds up the cholesterol and you send it out on the stool. So, you know, we used to be afraid of that, um, taking um fiber supplements would lower your total cholesterol, but it would also lower your good cholesterol. But now we know that the good cholesterol isn't that good anyway. It's so, okay. Yeah, and so we're less afraid of it than we used to be. Um but if people would understand that that decreasing ingested cholesterol will be to their benefit, is it and I guess the hardest part of that is that and the same thing's true of the fiber by the way. Mm-hmm. When you say, you know, 27% decrease in mortality people didn't just go and eat fiber. They ate all of the phytonutrients that went with the vegetable fiber and the the minerals and and the vitamins. And so the same thing is true of cholesterol. You're not just eating cholesterol. You're eating the heme iron, for example. Mm -hmm. You're eating the the phosphatidylcholine that'll make the TMAO. And so you can try to isolate cholesterol uh, ingestion or fiber ingestion and look for a decrease in life expectancy or an increase in life expectancy But ultimately, people don't eat nutrients, they eat food. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have to be respectful of everything that's in that food. Mm. And so cholesterol eating it might not be bad for you at all. But if you're eating it in an animal, which is the only place where you can get it, you're getting a lot of other bad things that are probably going to make it look pretty bad. Mm.
0: And it's interesting that people um, have even, even identify food now by its primary macronutrients. So they'll look at... At stake, and they said, that's my protein.
1: So they're, they're,
0: they're just, and they're, they're probably they're ignoring all the other uh, aspects of what they're they're you know eating when they're exactly. having that, but uh, they just want to focus in on that one nutrient that's going to uh, drive you know the, what they're chasing, which is obviously body composition.
1: That's really worth talking about um, because you know you're a bodybuilder, you understand that protein comes from amino acids, and you got to get those amino acids from somewhere. And I've had this discussion so many times. Not just nutritionists, particularly my renal failure nutritionists. They're so concerned about protein mm-hmm. and uh, saying that my patients cannot do a plant-based diet because they won't get enough protein. So I end up in this little discussion, and this happened earlier. Uh, I won't say which conference, because, but it was 500 nutritionists. Only three of them were vegans. It was not, not a good, wow. not tough, a good tough scene. Tough crowd. Man. Tough crowd, really <laughs> tough. And the conversation went like this. You can't be. You can't do plant-based nutrition. You will not get enough proteins. Okay, so where do you think the patient should get protein? Uh, steak. Okay, so where does steak come from? Uh, cow. What does a cow eat? Ooh, grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then I push the point. Of course. Okay, so you're seeing all of these cows. They're eating the grass. And over in the corner, there's a barn. Barn has a big horse, about two thousand pounds. What is he eating? Hey, and then it deteriorates from there. They slink away from the microphone, realizing that they know this. They just never connected the dots that that plants have plenty of amino acids, plenty of protein, and we will we do on the other hand have our plant-based nutrition people who I've heard say multiple times there's no such thing as protein deficiency Mm -hmm. uh, with with vegan diet. I'm aware of one case because it was my mother <laughs> eating a very restricted raw vegan diet. Okay. And if you look up the, the amino acid content of what she was eating, uh, which is, I, I love you, mom, but I'm doing this on the radio, sorry, <laughs> on the podcast, yeah. uh, avocados, <clears throat> almonds, uh, tomatoes, and carrots, and okay. carrot juice. If you look up the amino acid content, it's a little low on methionine. Cysteine and lysine she ended up with a very low albumin and a very very low pre so it really was not that she was losing it; it is that she wasn't making it um, and that ended up uh, she ended up in the hospital mm. with clots in her lungs because you your certain proteins you really must have for your health protein c and protein s are your anticoagulants if you don't have them you will clot your blood the other one was rp AP48, RBAP48 is a a hippocampal brain protein that's required for encoding new memories. So, as this trained medical practitioner was in the hospital with this pulmonary multiple lobes of pulmonary embolism, I had to explain to her about twenty-five times in an hour why she was there because Mm. she couldn't, she didn't have enough protein in the brain, and so. That's really a warning to everyone that we have to make sure that we're doing a balanced plant-based diet. And by the way, she's fine now. All Great. we had to do was okay. add Brazil nuts, um, walnuts, pecans, and, uh, and keep the almonds up. And no problem at all getting all the amino acids that she needs.
0: Okay, interesting. So she didn't introduce any of those high-protein plant foods, uh, legumes, or um, certain types of grains, that uh, they weren't with interest. Raw vegan, she would refuse. Mm. Yeah. Sprouts, lentil sprouts or anything like that. I don't know if the, yeah. you know, I said uh, profile of those is, is that strong. But. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's bit, very difficult to get her to change anything, but yeah. we got her to add uh, the species of nuts and okay. that's hey. plenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. The albumin went from, you know, the normal being four, it was 3.8 as a baseline, went to 2.1 mm. uh, when she was really ill, and 4.2 after she just added a few more species of nuts. That's all it took.
0: Yeah, okay. Interesting. And and so given your um, the longevity that, that um, you know, and from your from both your your family and your own journey um, in, in a, um, a plant-based uh, following a plant-based lifestyle, it used to be interesting when when I started this journey 20 years ago, there was really only one choice to go plant-based. It was whole foods plant-based. There wasn't a lot of processed plant-based foods out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and and certainly now there's a there's a huge uh, industry that uh, and, and I, I certainly have I, I, I love it I think it's got its place to help people transition uh, through from from a um, meat and uh, you know heavy dairy and, and egg kind of diet through to, to plant based they're still getting the experience of enjoying foods they like uh, but um, a whole foods plant based diet is distinct it's uh, f- focusing less on on those processed foods and just on whole foods yeah so that's that's something for people to to be aware of isn't it because they 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 might think okay i've gone plant-based i've gone vegan but i'm eating um you know breakfast cereal that's that's probably junk i'm eating these um oreos and i'm having pringles and i'm how i'm loving being vegan this is really working for me and there's all these other new processed foods out there but that's not necessarily going to be any better for them is it than the diet they've they've come from
1: Really important point. Um, So I would refer everyone to a publication in July of 2017 in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Uh, Myself and one of my fellows actually wrote the editorial that accompanied it. And it really talked about healthy versus unhealthy plant-based diets. Mm. And if you look at what's in an unhealthy one, it's a lot of fried food. It's sugar-sweetened beverages and juices. People are doing a lot of juicing. Instead of smoothies, the difference being when you juice, the fiber goes I'm in one direction all. yeah, <laughs> and the juice goes in another and you really should be taking that fiber in. Uh, if, a lot of refined flour, refined grains, okay? And so that's the white rice, the, the white sugar. And when you do that kind of diet, believe it or not, it's worse than eating animals. Is that right? Yeah, wow. and that's a shocking little graph mm. that I show at every lecture.
0: Yes, uh, we might get a link to that actually for for our on our um, page as well with this, just for people to refer to. Oh, because, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's and certainly um, those those sort of foods that they're having, um, you know, they they they'd be probably still having those with in with uh, dairy in them and egg and those sort of things. They're just swapping the the bad nutrition for the bad nutrition. And suddenly they're right. saying, oh, I'm, I'm now vegan. So that's extraordinary. It's, it's actually worse. Yep. And that's the,
1: well, and it's hard to imagine that uh, there would be anything worse than processed meat. There's a wonderful article the year before talking about how it's so important to replace animal protein with vegetable protein. And, you know, the dairy, the poultry and the fish increase your mortality 10, 12%. You're worse off if you do red meat. Eggs were worse than the red meat, but processed red meat was by far the worst thing. If you have a diet that's full of sugar, it's probably actually worse than processed red meat. Or, and that's hard to imagine because mm. you know we all grew up thinking if it doesn't have a face and it doesn't have a mother, it's okay. Yeah, not so much. Interesting. Wow. So so they
0: so we've been able to um, to sort of then list really some some dangerous foods. So so. Foods that people—they're best to avoid. Um, not even, I think, um, as a sometimes food, they're probably right. look. You need to get them off off the plate and off the menu. So um, certainly processed meat. I mean, World Health Organization came out and said, you know, um, it's it's equals the C word. That's right. um, so okay. yeah, it's a, it's a carcinogen. So, uh, but then deep fried foods, which. It's interesting, I travel a lot and I know you do as well. And it seems like every, every country and every culture you go to has some form of uh, local cultural delicacy that they want you to try that happens to be deep fried. It's, yeah. it, it, it's just everywhere. And, um, you know, I mean, it's certainly, there's a lot of tasty stuff out there. I think the brain just kind of, it lights up and thinks, what the hell is this? It's sugary, it's, uh, if yeah. it's a starch, it's, it's fatty, it's crispy, it's warm, it's salty. It's a it's a whole another thing going on. It just lights it up, uh, but but they have consequences. Whether they're they're a plant based or um, animal based type of food,
1: don't they? So fried foods are just. Absolutely. And, you know, it's hard to avoid the the chips and the fries, but the acrylides just you see, people sometimes like the science behind why they avoid it. Is it, mm. it easier to avoid Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Please so, tell, tell us. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's yeah. just uh, these are uh, cancer causing agents that we would like to avoid in our diet. Mm. And when you fry something in high, high temperature, even if it's a vegetable, it really does produce these compounds. Now, that's, a, that's, the diff, that's the difference between uh, frying, which is really bad, and barbecuing. It turns out that barbecuing is only bad if it's an animal. Okay. The, the, um, the, uh, the PAHs, the polyaromatic hydrocarbons and the HCAs, that's, uh, so heterocyclic amines, okay? they are produced when you take animal flesh and you burn it and on a grill, mm. and those do cause cancer. Whereas right. you could burn that popcorn all you want, and it's not gonna, <laughs> not gonna do anything bad, apparently.
0: You can barbecue those vegetables. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. People used to um, remark that it was the the actual, um, the coals burning and it was, it was something to do with the, the plate or the grill or right. what was actually burning and causing the fire, but it's actually what's what's going on with the, the changes in the actual animal product. Exactly. Okay, interesting. So, could you tell um, our, our viewers and listeners just some of the uh, some of the foods if they, if they if they still eat animal products? What are some of the lower risk animal products uh, that you know I, I certainly don't advocate it, but if they were to make some changes and start to move towards a, more of a plant based uh, lifestyle of, of eating, what are some of the things that they they probably should just
1: remove from the plate? So if so if you were going to if you felt someone is going to You know, it's compel you if you don't eat animal products, you're going to be thrown off the planet or whatever. Um, It it probably would be low-fat dairy Mm. um, and fish. If chicken, if it's not fried or any kind of poultry, if it's not fried, um, those are the ones that have the least increase in mortality. Uh, But uh, people were very shocked to find out. um, You mentioned the World Health Organization and Class One carcinogen, processed red meat. Some of the listeners actually don't know what processed red meat really means. Uh, I I've, I've see that almost at every sure. conference. So th- uh, for those listeners, it's bacon, ham, uh, lunch meat, hot dogs, and the data is so bad on that that if you just just take the lunch meat and you know out of the delicatessen and feed people steak instead, we'd probably have about a 20 to 30% decrease in heart attacks mm. uh, and cancer. But it turns out that uh, in that one article from the Nurses' Health Study and Health Professional Follow-up Study, eggs were actually a more uh, carcinogenic, uh, associated with more cancer deaths than actual processed red meat, and that was a shock to, to everyone. That's
0: extraordinary, and, and certainly in, in the community that a lot of our listeners exist in, um, eggs are a, a part of the daily uh, diet. They're That's right. um, they're consuming. Multiple, um, you know, consistently both both egg whites and uh, and the yolks as well. Right. So um, that's extraordinary. Um,
1: it, it was really a shocking finding, yeah. and but it does go to explain. So we have some very large for in, in the United States, uh, like the Adventist Health Studies. There's a large number of uh, lacto-ovo vegetarians, and when you compare their results to vegans, they're just not as good. And that's probably why. It's probably the eggs. Maybe it's the dairy as well, but. It's probably the eggs. Mm, okay,
0: and on the other side, what are some of the, the plant-based foods that you advocate that you think are, they're, they're the real powerhouses, so you're getting fibers, you're getting phytonutrients, you're getting uh, protein, um, you're getting, what, what are the, some of those foods that people it's should focus so on? It's so
1: funny that I, I focus all of my talks on what not to eat, and I wait till the dietitian comes up to say what they should eat. Um, <laughs> but I am gonna dump, dive into that because yeah. uh, I have a tendency personally to keep losing weight uh, you okay know, and I have to work out more work less mm-hmm. work out more and focus on us listening at, at one of these uh, you know vegan conferences plant nutrition project and just sitting there listening to the guy talk about how to do a plant-based nutrition and lose weight and the things to avoid are highly dense calorie s- such as nuts and heavy grains and the more whole grains you eat, you gotta, you know, you gotta back off of those things. I'm saying, wait a minute, that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> I need those. Yes, and so I've been trying to do more of the whole grains and more of the dense vegetables and a little less of the leafy kinds okay. of things. Um, and so what I'm really saying is that people have to figure out where they are. If they are in a, a situation where they need to be l- gaining weight you go with the high calorie dense and you could actually google those words high calorie dense vegetables and yep. you'll see loads and loads of them and if you're on the other side which is most of our patients um, and most of our people both mm. in australia and in the united states uh, the incidence of obesity is really rising if you combine obesity and uh, overweight looked at their 50 year olds in australia it's 80 percent Mm. are either obese or overweight,
0: right? So, so they're they're looking at the the foods that are lower calorie, that's higher right. nutrient foods, high exactly. fiber. Um, so, not as certainly not as dense as as some of the starches and those those grains. Exactly. Um, okay, interesting. So, so you're in the spectrum where you're you're on the the, the bulk, as we call it. That's so, right. you, <laughs> that's right. so you're having uh, rice and beans and lentils, and um, it just to go into those foods, um, for there's 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 certainly um, some. Some people out there that are advocating um, to to avoid those for what they deem to be anti nutrients. Um, these are these are um, you know actives that that exist when the probably um, and you'll be able to understand the science a little bit more than myself. But uh, my understanding is that they have these anti nutrients as a repellent naturally for for insects. Um, mm-hmm. Those foods um, are, are, you know best prepared via soaking, via uh, boiling, uh, reducing the amount of uh, phytates and uh, these these lectins in there, these anti nutrients, as they've been labelled, um, mm-hmm. and and of course my, my answer to that is well, there's no other way to eat them. So you, that's that's the process. And when you look at a can of organic beans, I mean they've been they've not only been boiled, but they're soaking in, in a brine for right. uh, for a long period of time. So they are it's certainly from what I've seen, free from a lot of those anti nutrients that everyone's trying to avoid. So uh, what what do you say to the people out there that like to to sort of um, come back and say, well, hang on a sec, those foods contain these.
1: So this is one of the areas, and there are many, and uh, I shouldn't just pick on this one because the sugar, the egg board, the Sugar Research Foundation, the Cattlemen's Association, there are a lot of places where there's a business interest um, that will sort of move the needle in terms Mm. of the published science even. But this one is an interesting one, that if you look at the science of lectins and the actual, not the hype, but the actual science of it, it'll be very, very clear that these are actually beneficial. And so it, it might be really hard to, to do them raw because it's really difficult to do <laughs> beans raw. Yeah. They're very hard. Yeah. It's not really possible. They're not digestible. Mm. Um, but if you are cooking them or soaking them long enough and uh, so that they absorb the water, um, they actually are very nutritious, and the lectins actually have been associated with decreased uh, cardiovascular outcomes. But again, it's not just lectins. You're actually not just pulling out the lectins and eating them. You're eating actual food, and yes. so um, that has a lot of fiber and you know, some, you know, some oligosaccharides that seem to be beneficial, even if they give you a little gas at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that goes away after a while. Yep. And so we need to take the not just the the hype about it. Yeah. Um, and But really look at the long term outcomes, and they are very positive. And I remember patients saying, Well, I just can't eat any more beans. I just get tired of eating the same old thing. So I actually Googled it for that gentleman. Oh, yeah. There are 40,000 species of beans on this planet. I don't think I could get through them all before. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. There's so many, that's right. I yeah. mean, there's, there's, you know, and they come, you can. Um, obviously adapt them to so many different types of dishes and and meals as well. So there's Mm -hmm. so much variety. I I agree with you that you just could never get bored of them. um, And you can, you can manipulate them into, into becoming similar to to what you might have in, in from an animal based dish. So you can use lentils in the, in the spaghetti. You could use, um, you know, chickpeas to create hummus or something like that. So there's, you know, there's a variety of ways that the people can consume them as well. It's not just sitting there eating a bunch of a whole plate of um, beans. Um, and tell me a little bit about um, phytoestrogens because there's, an, there's obviously there's uh, a lot of um, interest in the moment that there's foods identified, particularly soybeans. Um, you know, is, is one of the the, the main um, foods that are labelled with, with featuring phytoestrogens, and so people simply avoid them. They don't uh, see past that. They don't understand the difference between um, you know exogenous uh, estrogen and um, and phytoestrogens.
1: It's a really important area. Um, and I, I'm just an avid reader about it. Uh, it's not a cardiovascular issue sure. so much. But I tell you that um, my reading of it is that if you take the soy protein isolates and, and, and you're getting highly dense isoflavones, that might have some bad outcomes. Um, people are very worried about that. But um, the phytoestrogen story really seems to be sort of upside down. That is, there are phytoestrogens that have been turned into pharmaceuticals mm. because they can they can block the estrogen receptors and decrease uh, estrogen-mediated cancers. And so, so that's point A. Point B is if you look at populations that eat a lot of soy, their breast cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, they tend to be very low. Mm. And so that may be a whole lot of other things other than the soy, um, but it could be that those phytoestrogens are actually protective and so i think the science has moved from years ago but nobody makes a big announcement over the radio or the television that oh by what by the way we're
0: updating our stance on this exactly. you know
1: yeah and then and so what you end up with is is people coming in with incomplete older information mm. and you know, i mean it's five years ago or you know well 10 years ago we we're using high dose of aspirin now we're doing low dose mm. uh You know, the dairy products being associated with more fractures. We never knew that. Hey, HDL, that protective cholesterol, the higher it is, the more heart attacks. Mm. There's certain things that just are shocking when they come out because we've been doing it wrong for 40 years. Mm. Um, And so I would encourage everyone before feeling like they're comfortable with their knowledge is to keep looking at the data. And this is one area where I think people will be very comfortable using soy and other sources of of phytoestrogens because they seem to, yeah, they seem to s- decrease the, the uh, breast cancer and they certainly decrease prostate cancer as if they actually were an estrogen. Um, it would be great to, uh, have everyone understand that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny. Um, Dr. Williams, it, uh, did you ever think when you became a cardiologist, you become a nutritionist as well? <laughs> <laughs> because here I am asking you delving into the, right. the micronutrient aspect of different foods, but I just find it so interesting that that's, that's just, it you've gone so far down the path of uh, helping people trying to understand prevention that, that it seems that you're, you're quite a, a nutritionist yourself and you understand the, the relationship between foods and, and, and the different um, systems of the body. And, and even when they're unrelated to, to uh, the cardiovascular system, you still have an understanding. So that's quite extraordinary.
1: Well, it's, it's, uh, it's really just the interest in cardiovascular disease Get invited, sit there and listen to these wonderful experts who are speaking before or after me, and I've picked up a lot of stuff. And then, and then my patients—they'll yeah. uh, ask these questions. Yeah, and I, I have don't. to have to educate myself, and you know, I, I, I wish that was the. I know it's not easy. It's a little easier for me as a chief of cardiology because there's mm-hmm. nobody hassling me about how long I take in clinic. <laughs> that's, that's my job is to hassle me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so I do a lot of nutrition counseling, and mm-hmm. that may be not easy for physicians to do. Um, But uh, that that gives me the perspective that I have to know stuff, and I have to be willing to look up stuff right there in front. I mean, we all have electronic health records. You know, we have a search engine right there, and we try Mm -hmm. to answer the patient's questions. Yeah, that's true.
0: So I really appreciate that. And I I also I think a lot of our listeners would have gotten a lot of value from just you being very specific about some of those foods and some of the the different relationships that 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 people um, you know that, that has with their body because. Um, that's quite practical because I think for a lot of people that they might not, hopefully they're motivated to go out there and get their blood work done, understand exactly where they're at. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of fear associated with doing that. I think people want to avoid that for as long as they can um, in case there's something there. And then certainly beyond that, then acting on those results, going to a doctor and then, right. and then ultimately maybe getting a referral uh, to see a cardiologist. So there's a, quite a few steps that someone mentally has to, be motivated to take and often that motivation doesn't exist it's it's usually driven by uh, you know a fear that something something is starting to to really affect them um, but uh, you know I, I think that the biggest value that that our um, listeners and viewers are getting from today is just those practical examples of prevention it's don't wait for that that referral don't wait for that um, for those those um, nuanced Uh, kind of effects to happen with the body before you you get motivated to uh, to do that type of uh, take those steps it's all about prevention and so whole foods plant-based diet exercise uh, don't smoke i mean that's that's an obvious (laughs) one Um, and sodium and and also um, as you mentioned before reducing um, the the oils in the diet as well so that's there's some real practical steps that, that people can take and and by by and large, they're probably then, you know, 50% less, is that, what, what's the, what are the sort of numbers if they followed those, those steps there, reduced sodium, plant-based, whole foods, plant-based diet, no, uh, no oils, no smoking, and exercise,
1: what, what are their odds in terms of having a long, healthy life? So I, I would say that the, uh, the data that we're looking at is in longevity is rapidly increasing so it's hard to actually give a number Mm -hmm. um there was a publication by the adventist health study to neil Fraser, i'm sorry uh, neil Fraser's the australian tennis guy Uh, Um, gary Fraser, (laughs) uh, who's all from australia but he's at uh, loma linda university Uh, he actually uh, they actually have a graph of uh, ages versus diet pattern Um, and what they show over time is that the people who are doing the standard American diet is just decreasing, decreasing rapidly. And by the time you're 70 years old, you're much, almost more likely to be a plant-based diet, a completely vegan person. Wow. And that's because that's increasing over time. And that's because people are living longer and they're switching because of disease. Mm. Whereas the people are switching away from the standard American diet or, or dying. And so you know, it's it's uh, hard to put a number on it because it's changing so rapidly. In the United States, there's been a 600 percent increase in the number of vegans in the last three years. Uh, and incredible. Yeah,
0: incredible. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, so we'll see, but, but we we know it's associated with, with better longevity. Yes, um, I'd love to see the best numbers uh, about how much it's going to be.
0: Yeah, excellent. And so you're um you're in Australia also, not just for the tennis, but for, to um you're on the the board, the advisory board for Doctors for Nutrition, and mm-hmm. um, obviously Doctors for Nutrition um, is a new organization. It's um, advocating um, a whole foods, plant based diet to. Um, to doctors and nutritionists um, within Australia to, to help try and drive uh, change uh, at within hospitals within um, you know advice that that uh, primary care is are, uh, are, are giving and so that that is that that's a new organisation for Australia but uh, is there something similar in the United States that's that's that exists and that's getting good outcomes?
1: Now, there are several. Um, so I would say that probably the the. The most prominent of them, the most long-lasting, probably is PCRM, yes. uh, Physicians for uh, Responsible Medicine, uh, Physicians Committee, Committee for yes. Responsible Medicine, and uh, they've done a really good job of pointing out um, some of the inconsistencies. So you, you mentioned doctors and you mentioned hospitals, so they're, they're both things that we have to wrestle with. Uh, the physicians, the leading cause of death uh, of physicians in the United States is still heart disease. And so that's a function of the fact that mm. uh, even our cardiologists don't understand nutrition. We did a survey with the American College of Cardiology uh, showing that, you know, if you ask that question, uh, do you feel comfortable that you have the knowledge necessary to counsel your patient on nutrition? And it was 1% of our practicing physicians and 0% of our trainees. Wow. And so then the other side is hospital food, and mm. PCRM has worked with us, with the American Medical Association, to try to get a, a resolution and get AMA backing uh, on removing unhealthy food from uh, the hospitals. And you heard some impassioned pleas by cardiologists uh, going up to the microphone and saying, you know, I put three stints in that left anterior descending and I came over to round on the patient the next morning and they were eating bacon and eggs. And so mm. when are we going to try to change that? I mean, yeah. you know, and because the hospital, they're really not trying to do this out of, out of you know, to increase their yeah. repeat business. Of course. They're doing it because they just don't understand the power of plant-based nutrition and it's going to cost them their personal lives as well as um, the lives of the patients. Because mm. it's
0: not certainly something that they advocate or follow themselves. So That's it's, correct. it's in, it's an almost indirect conflict to, um, and I guess that, uh, there's still that, um, that separation from people understanding the, the, really the magic and the power of nutrition as it relates to, um, illness and, 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 um, disease prevention. There's still, it still exists and it's, it's no more obvious in, in, when you go to a hospital and you see them, right. you've got people that are, that are um, really suffering and, they're, they're giving them the, the very, um, you know, often the foods that pro- likely uh, contributed towards them being there in the first place. So it's, it's it, you know, it's pretty, um, that, that's certainly one, one area that needs to change. And also, I think the other is, um, you know, the government, very slow moving beast um, in Australia, certainly probably is um, in the United States as well, in terms of being able to uh, change their stance on what they recommend as being a healthy diet for school children and for, for adults. Yeah. They they don't seem to, in, in my industry, when we have uh, these new types of foods that, that become uh, available and uh, they might have some, some really good antioxidant properties, they might have some, some very good nutrient values, the governing body of foods doesn't really know how to deal with them. So they kind of classify them, they look at them for a few years and there's not enough maybe uh, data on them. And then they they might sort of turn around and say, "Okay, that food's approved," but by and large, what I notice is that um, their recommended diets don't change, and that they don't, they haven't done in many years. Um, and and unfortunately, people still believe that. Well, if the government tells me this, then it must be the, the right way to to follow, it. because they're not they're not nutritionists, they're not necessarily right. um, people that that have much of an interest in it. So they look and think, "Well, that's the authority," so I'll just simply you know, follow what they, what they recommend. So driving that, that governmental change, um, in terms of their, their stance and, 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 um, is that having much an effect? Is PCRM doing that in the United States with?
1: They really have. And uh, along with the American College of Cardiology, we have a nutrition subgroup. We, we call ourselves the vegan mafia, <laughs> but, uh, but are not just there. There are a couple of, uh, uh, there's one paleo person in there. There's a, <laughs> um, the, a Mediterranean person. Is there a gluten-free um, person in there yes. as well? <laughs> Actually, you know, that, that, I, that's, I don't think we've... Okay. Oh, yes, I know at least one of them yeah, is good. gluten-free, yeah. personally, but not necessarily. Because yeah. I think we all recognize that uh, that gluten-free has a lot more hype than reality, mm-hmm. and true celiac disease that's biopsy-proven is very serious mm. and most people who think they're gluten sensitive are actually not and the other thing that i've heard that's very unusual friends of mine who are gluten-free because they are very sensitive to gluten in the united states and not other parts of the world and no one that i know of has uh, figured out why that is mm. um but w- with these dietary patterns we have to try to get much more education out there, um, and then get the groundswell like PCRM does in the American College of Cardiology, um, American Medical Association, getting them to try to change government. If I could change just one thing about government, um, oh, okay, maybe it would be hospital food and and, yeah. and school and school nutrition, like yes. you say. But one of the major issues in the United States is is farm subsidies. Uh, production mm. of things that are unhealthy, mm. uh, so vegetable shortening, uh, refined flour, high fructose corn syrup. There are about 14 substances that are actually subsidized by the government. And then it's, it makes it easier for man- for manufacturers to include them because they're very inexpensive Absolutely. and mm. they're unhealthy. And yes. so the government pays billions for these subsidies and then pays almost a trillion. In 2020, it'll be a trillion dollars. Wow for the Medicare system to yes. take care of the things that the food has caused. Really?
0: Yeah, it's a complete imbalance and there's, there's a lot of vested interests jostling to, to uh, for, the, for their own agenda and own, own purposes and profits um, that, that obviously have landed us in this situation. So um, look, I, I could talk to you for hours, Dr. Williams. I really <laughs> appreciate you um, spending some time with us on Power Plant Radio and um, delving in and giving, giving our listeners practical examples of foods and, and a philosophy uh, to to really try and prevent um, I you know it's interesting when I went and saw a, a chiropractor once uh, he said to me when I went I started getting treatment he said my goal is so you don't have to ever see me again and <laughs> I hope for a lot of our, our listeners and, and viewers out there that they don't necessarily have to go yes. and see a cardiologist uh, you know when they're in a position that you know they might have to make some drastic changes I hope that, that they can look at these uh, these these subtle but um, absolutely in the short term you'll they'll see the benefit and long term as well they'll you know they, they'll i mean let's hope there's not as many cardiologists <laughs> around and they're, they're actually promoting nutrition and they're, they're able to stop it at the gate if you like they're able right. to, to prevent that
1: i was very worried about the, the effects of having so many plant-based cardiologists at rush uh, university uh, we're doing a lot of prevention and i was concerned that it would have a significant impact on the number of catheterizations and stents and bypasses and coronary care unit admissions and i realized afterwards uh, when we actually got the numbers back and rush did rush cardiology did extremely well last year um, despite the fact that we're doing so much prevention the dynamics were just something i hadn't thought of that is when i'm seeing a patient and they become a vegan and they're losing weight their blood pressure is going down, and I'm seeing them. Instead of I'm seeing them every six to twelve weeks, I'm seeing them six to twelve months. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that opens up new slots. Yes, and so I'm seeing more new patients, mm-hmm. and we're actually our uh, new patient volume is going up, and that's what drives the cath lab because yes. these people are not healthy when they're coming to us for the, mm-hmm. in the first place, and so it actually for those of you out there who are concerned that prevention is going to hurt your business you're underestimating the amount of disease there is out there.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. there's a, a huge um, amount of people that, exactly. that that need to be um, educated, need to, to to make these changes and and that's that's exactly right that that the um, right now it's it's full, you know, there's that many people and there's still and I guess um, looking at the outcomes with it with heart disease being the number one um, uh, cause of death in Australia and the United States still a lot of work out there so this sure yeah absolutely well dr williams really appreciate you coming in today yeah, and thank enjoy you. your time in australia and um we'll link some of those uh those articles and and, and studies that you referenced as well just so our, our uh, viewers and listeners can delve a little bit deeper into it um so thank you very much Dan. absolutely thank you cheers All right. okay so welcome uh Pranar on tribe to a little bonus section um today uh, we've just finished uh interviewing Dr. Kim Williams, which was fantastic, and I think really practical for a lot of people out there. And um, Dr. Williams is out here, um, he's on the advisory board for Doctors for Nutrition. So they're a newly Australian uh, registered health uh, charity, and they provide support to the medical and dietetic uh, associations out there, um, and really just trying to, to create change at a at a I would almost term an institutional level. In terms of um, the way that they they view nutrition, and and certainly advocating a whole foods plant based diet is the, um, the the means in which uh, Doctors for Nutrition is uh, is going to hopefully achieve some great outcomes. So um, welcome Helena and uh, Juliet. So we really Thank appreciate you. your, your time today. Thank
1: you
2: for having us.
0: You're welcome. So how long is Doctors for Nutrition? Uh, it's quite new, isn't it? So it's
2: very new. Yeah. Um, registration probably half a year but getting it all set up that has been gradually over the past year so 2018 but uh, yeah that we have official uh, registration as a charity was in June I think last
0: year okay excellent so charity being that it's, it's not for profit so that yeah. the real charter is to um, is to move that that to the side and just saying we we really want to try and uh, be an agent for change Um, certainly in an an area that needs it so could you tell us why doctors for nutrition was established what was the the need in in uh, that you could see in the community
2: yeah thank you for the question it is very important to explain this being a medical doctor myself um, we never had real education in nutrition let alone in plant-based nutrition and the benefits of plant-based nutrition. And coming across these benefits, how healthy it is, uh, we think as Doctors for Nutrition that the medical world needs to know. So I will not blame any doctor that they don't know because eight years ago I had no clue about plant-based nutrition and the benefits. But uh, because it's in most universities, not in their curriculum, uh, we feel that we need to educate the medical world. And hopefully, in the end, we will also get into universities so that from the start, medical students are being educated in plant-based nutrition. Mm-hmm. So, um, And why is that necessary? Because there are more and more people now turning towards plant-based nutrition. And they start also recog- for several reasons. It can be animal welfare and the environment, but also for health. And they become very enthusiastic and then they go to their doctor and they say, I'm now doing this diet, this type of mm. lifestyle. And then the doctor says, wow, but that's dangerous because you need some meat and dairy because that's the paradigm we still live in. Mm. And so we, 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 we want to educate doctors so that they also know that we don't need it. That was also my uh, problem in um, getting over that line that I thought, yeah, but probably, you know, you will run into certain problems, health problems, and that's absolutely not the case.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that, um, it, and it still seems so prevalent, that there, there's a lot of physicians out there that just simply don't correlate uh, nutrition and, um, you know, treatment of, of diseases and, and certainly prevention uh, they don't, there's just no relationship they almost exist in different worlds so one is not related to the other and in fact um, doctors for nutrition I- exists to point out the fact that there is a massive relationship between uh, people's uh, health outcomes and uh, what they're eating and it's it's Absolutely. so obvious to myself and yeah. probably a lot of our our viewers and listeners out there but yeah. it, it's still you're right the, the paradigm still they're, they're not necessarily following it themselves they're not I mean you go to uh, some medical practices and you can see the doctor out the back still smoking mm-hmm. which I mean hopefully that's that's um that's certainly um you know past phenomenon but it's um right now that they're, they're still not necessarily um up to speed with nutrition and
2: No no no,
3: no I <laughs> interestingly I'm an intern at the moment so I'm a very much a baby doctor and I've been seeing this all the time in my rotations recently i mean even just the other day we're seeing a patient and you know the sort of advice you hear them say is if someone's iron deficient it's you know you need to have more red meat and that sort of thing or um if someone has high blood pressure and they'll ask oh why do i have high blood pressure well it's your genetics you know got nothing you can do about it you've got to take these medications it's so disempowering and it's so sad to see that and you see that every day so that's what we're hoping to change i guess
0: yeah, the genetic side. I, th- I think I hear that a lot. Actually, people just um, kind of surrendering to the idea that, that their um, their health situation uh, and you know is, is a result of genetics. Um, there's just simply no ownership over um, over perhaps what they eat and, and why they've ended up in that position in the first place. So, um, and being being um, both doctors yourselves, um, you must cringe when you see hospital food. Yeah, that must <laughs> yeah. be a very hard yeah. pill to swallow when you, uh, when you see it. And um, is, there, is there much of a reception uh, within the community to start to, to um, embrace a little bit of change? Or are you, you guys really um, fighting an uphill battle?
2: In the medical community, you mean? Mm. Yes. yes. Uh, it's still difficult, I would say, Do you agree? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But it depends on the person. So some people become more and more open to the idea. People see more and more that basically we are not being able to treat people with and we are basically talking chronic diseases. So heart disease and type two diabetes, cancers, autoimmune diseases, all sorts of allergies, Um, all these. Uh, chronic diseases are so well th- being influenced by a healthy diet. Mm. And, and it is such, you know, it feels as such a shame that we are not using that to the max. Absolutely. Uh, but that's not how we are being taught. So it's not in the toolkit of the doctor. And that's why they're they they do not know about it and don't use it. But this should be like an, a, an overhaul of the healthcare system, where we start with putting people on a healthy diet. So, for doctors being able to do that, they have to first of all know about it, but also do it probably. Because mm. if you, as a doctor, still smoke, how convincing are you going to be to, uh, to your patient and say, "Oh well, please don't smoke. It's not healthy." So it's it's that so. Here we see a a big problem. So that's why the education needs to kick in. And we have a great example in the USA where uh, there are already large organizations that uh, promote plant-based nutrition for doctors Mm -hmm. and in conferences, and we have seen over the past six years, uh, a conference that started out with 200 attendees in six years time, now a thousand, and most of them doctors, and that's also promoting nutrition in healthcare. Mm. So we hope to bring about the same. So we are setting, have set up a conference starting in, um, our first conference will be in February, in Melbourne, 15 till 17, February in Melbourne. And we hope to do the same here, so that we can engage more and more doctors and healthcare providers mm. in general, to come to these conferences and to get more knowledge and to start applying.
0: Okay, so that's that's in February. Is it open to people from different fields? Is it not just uh, so not just medical doctors, but people that um, are peripherally even related? Um, they might uh, be different touch points with, with a with a um, particular uh, client uh, or you know caring for somebody, so that they're welcome to come as well and, and hear the information and participate. Like,
3: yeah, it's yeah. open to anyone. Um, and of course, we really encourage health professionals to come because they play such an important role in this. But anyone who's interested, we'd love to have them there. And I think it's going to be educational for anyone. So, yeah, bring anyone along that you can find. Yeah, so it's for the, for
2: the general public, as Juliet is saying, and any healthcare provider or health coach or allied healthcare provider. Yes, anyone.
0: Because I feel like a, a lot of people um, that that I know of have lost faith in in seeing their doctors um, and getting advice about nutrition, so they're they're looking to other ways and other people to to provide them that advice. So certainly, um, having having different people that are in the industry um, to be able to to become educated and mm-hmm. and perhaps certainly personally look at making some changes, but then being able to advocate. Um, so that so some of the tools that Doctors for Nutrition will provide. Um, or or will seek to provide over time will be educational uh, materials and yeah. trying to you know really go. it's it's unfortunate that most people by the time they see the doctor it's it's there's, some, there's something happening so very rarely do people go and see a doctor to say hey I just want to prevent something happening in twenty to thirty years
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that'd be nice <laughs>
0: yeah it's just not happening is it so yeah, no. um, the doctors are almost having to to understand the role in which they can play in just promoting uh, prevention um, tools to their to their clients Um, because you know the the person might come for something that could be unrelated but certainly there's still doctors have that that power of being able to their advice is still somewhat uh, valid for a lot of people out there so Yes,
2: and, and that also relates back to the fact that if doctors say, well, it might be dangerous if you cut out all the meat and the dairy, that has a huge impact on the patient. Even though you might have, they might have got really good information about plant-based nutrition, then they start to doubt uh, you know what, what, what is now the real healthy diet. And we don't want that to happen. We want doctors to be educated so they can support, at least say,
3: I've learned about it. At least it's a healthy diet. Mm, absolutely. I, I think it's such a reflection as well of just the information about diet altogether nowadays. It's there's so much conflicting information. You know, one day eggs is healthy, next day it's not, and it's just it's so confusing for so many people. And I think it would be so nice to have, you know, doctors, medical professionals, all on board, all on the same page, giving the same message all the time. you know that it starts becoming clearer and people start having more faith that it is actually you know that this is the right thing um until then i think and that's that is also part it's something you know that a lot of these companies like the the dairy industry these industries use to try and um continue selling their products is to create confusion that's one of the you know powerful ways of doing that so i think we need to be strong and all you know work together and try and Get rid of that confusion.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the unfortunate, uh, it's its a beautiful thing. We've got access to so much information these yeah. days, but then we have the ability to, um, pe- people can really receive confirmation bias. They can go and find a study. They can go find an anecdotal example of someone following a particular philosophy or lifestyle that, that they want to, for whatever reason, follow themselves and say, well, look, they're doing it. Well, they're saying it, so it must be right for me. And they're yeah. ignoring this other overwhelming Um, A lot of evidence and I really want to ask you both um, given that you've both gone through uh, medical school um, first of all how much of your course was dedicated to nutrition and secondly did that information change between the the time that that you went through and then obviously um, when you graduated was there any difference in that information around nutrition
3: you start what was your
2: well I've seen of course a little bit what Juliet has been taught and and, and learned and uh, no (laughs) so the amount of uh, hours nutrition I can't even remember Uh, I think it was more it was more the biochemical side of things about oh you've got carbohydrates what is it and proteins and fats and more these um, cellular level of metabolisms but talking about that a plant-based diet can stop and reverse heart disease or stop and reverse
3: type 2 diabetes that of course was not not there and still yeah uh, and i think for me it was an interesting journey because in my first year of medical school that's when we'd Um, come across all this information and we'd made those changes so i went through medical school knowing this already unlike what you would have had yeah and it was just mind-blowing like first of all we really only i would think had one or two hours of nutrition Mm. at the most wow yeah Yeah. um and i distinctly remember one of the things it's all very general advice you know stuff that you see anywhere like on the tv That sort of Stuff and one of the things that stood out, which I already mentioned before, but it's one of those classic sayings, which is um, for iron deficiency anemia. And I quote: "Red meat is your best friend," which it's just, it's yeah, Yeah. it's such a shame. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the information hasn't been updated, and it's probably interesting because um, the the whatever little piece of nutrition uh, philosophy that the the medical. Uh, world at the moment advocates in in that space and certainly the university and education level because it doesn't have the power to prevent disease or or, um, reduce risk they just don't talk about it so obviously if they were aware of the preventative benefits of a whole foods plant-based diet then it might take up a larger portion of the course and off of the um the studies so yeah yeah. Yeah.
3: instead yeah instead we spend so much time learning about all the different medications and all their side effects and how to counter those side effects which it's it's that it's a waste of time because a lot of these things can be prevented on a whole food plant-based diet mm. and you have no side effects with that I mean you only have good things like you know you feel so much more alert energetic um, it's and yeah.
2: pre- if you try to prevent one you pre- prevent also another disease yeah so, so I mean it has multiple benefits
0: well, that's true. Yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it, the, 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 the healthcare, uh, the, the medical world is built on pills and procedures, we mm-hmm. say, the PP. And um, yeah, and that has its origins from long ago, and I can see that. But I think we have to come to the conclusion that that's not, you know, we are not getting where we want to be. And that means that the healthcare system should get a, an overhaul because how are you going to pay doctors? You know? Because now we are going to give advice in nutrition, um, uh, writing something or doing a procedure that, that will you know, uh, generate some income, uh, talking uh, for maybe half an hour or an hour. That is, uh, that's not possible in the setting So uh, as doctors work now. That's usually like 15 minutes or you know, that's the most usually you get mm. a, at a doctor's visit. So there is a lot more into this than only that the doctors know about it. Now we n- need to see a change. And that has happened um, partly in the US. Also, Dr. Dean Ornish, who did a study about heart disease, and he showed on a plant based diet that you could stop and reverse heart disease. He has set up a program that now, after many many years, has been recognized by some healthcare providers. And that means um, a multifaceted approach with a dietitian and the doctor and some and like an exercise specialist. And so people are being educated in lifestyle. Mm. And of course, nutrition is very important in here. I, I would say the most important factor, in my opinion. But also looking at stress reduction and exercise and, and those things, and that has now, uh, you know, gotten the um, recognition and is there. It's being paid for, mm. and that is what we need. So we need uh, also the financial side being covered. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to apply this.
0: Absolutely, and, and it's unfortunate that um, the the mechanism of uh, prevention advice and um doesn't necessarily have have an economic uh, benefit to you know th- there's really nothing there um and in actual fact they might i don't believe so because the system is overwhelmed but they might see that as a bit of a threat potentially um that and i, I don't i don't want to get into um that that's quite a you know uh, i don't want to say conspiracy but it is mm. it's unfortunate that the system is such that um that it, it it's basically there's there's no it doesn't seem like there's a way out there's it's it's basically entrenched and there yeah. seems to be um, drivers um, that it's see that as you say it's uh, pills and Procedure. uh, procedures and that seems yeah. to be you know let's maybe keep that moving and prevention maybe that's not as necessarily a bigger focus um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, doctors care, and I think that's, the, that's the, the end of the day, they want good outcomes for their, for their patients. Absolutely. I, I think that's what, despite those, those economic uh, factors working behind the scenes and having their agendas and their interests, ultimately people become a doctor because they care they care for people um, and they want to see you know better outcomes for, for their people in their community. So mm-hmm. certainly I think that's where the, the opportunity does exist is that, Um, you know, the relationship they've got with with their patients, it can be um, enhanced through providing great advice about prevention.
3: Definitely. I think, sorry, it's important to to mention as well that we're not saying that all of medicine is bad. I Mm. mean, there is definitely a place for medicine and, and the pills and procedures in some cases. But when it comes to chronic diseases and a lot of the diseases that are troubling the Western world at the moment, it's not the right way. And it's the diet that we need to look at. And I think it's important because I, I, sometimes it starts to feel like we're bagging out, you know, medicine altogether, which we're not. There's a very important place for medicine as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if
2: you've got a broken leg or other, you know, very serious, you you need intervention and you need help of a doctor and surgery and that kind of thing, of course. Um, As Juliet said, the chronic diseases and coming back to what you were saying that doctors want to, you know, the best for their patients. Yes, uh, of course. So it's again, not blaming doctors. Mm. It's uh, I didn't know a lot of other doctors still don't know. And there are a few that know and more and more coming, you know, on board and and notice, but the work satisfaction will increase so much Mm. because actually, you now see people getting better. And with chronic diseases, that is usually what you don't see. The name already tells you it's chronic, Mm. so it's over time progressing. Yes. And they try to manage it. That's also the the wording that is being used. How do you manage type two diabetes? How do you manage heart disease? But if you can stop and reverse it, then i mean how how much more satisfaction will doctor get because that's what they want in the yeah. end they want to heal yeah
3: patients. Come, you know yeah. coming off medications things like yeah. that it's yeah that's amazing makes people feel so good and yeah you know in turn that gives us amazing job satisfaction as well yeah yeah
0: absolutely seeing not just um you know a doctor getting satisfaction from prescribing a particular medication, saying, great well now this will keep it at bay but actually going that next step further and saying, yeah. we're gonna get you off this, that's what we're gonna do, yeah. and then seeing that, that those outcomes. So that's that's the end goal, and I love the fact that Doctors for Nutrition now exists to be able to help provide that. Um, how, just wanna, um, for our listeners and viewers, just um, how did you discover that, uh, for yourself, what was your personal journey to discover the relationship between health and nutrition?
2: Yeah, I always say my story is so uninteresting because so many <laughs> other people have a story about I, you know, had too much weight. um, I had heart disease or diabetes, and I had so many medications and etc. Because they had an illness, and I wasn't in that situation. It was eight years ago, and I was just by coincidence uh, online read about Bill Clinton Mm. who went on a plant-based diet, and I thought, um, Bill Clinton on a diet? Why is that news? And you know. But I clicked on it, so it helped. And then that was that interview with CNN and Dr. Ornis and Dr. Esselstyn, who both did research in heart disease and diet. And they talked about stopping and reversing heart disease. And I couldn't believe my ears. Mm. I thought that is impossible. And I started from then onwards researching these people and others. And that started my journey, and almost what they say, you know, overnight I changed my diet. But I I wasn't overweight. I didn't have any medication, and um, but that was more the knowledge that why would I put food in my body that is harming me?
0: Mm. Absolutely.
2: So you know, I, I you know, you want to get old, but y- you don't want to be your last 10 years you want to or 20 years you don't want to be sick
0: yeah and suffering you and want suffering. quality of life. of yeah, yeah i
2: mean quality of life whether that's a little bit longer or shorter but you want till the end almost till the end you want quality of life
0: mm. absolutely yeah. and so so naturally um you would have observed this and thought um wow this is this is having an effect on on Mum's life so how do, how do you how did you sort of then adopt it yourself and then and carry that through uh, medical school as well
3: yeah so I'm very fortunate that mum was so cluey and picked up on on this information and shared it with us and that's what got us and I'm going say us I mean our family mm. um, so I've got two other brothers as well um, and I don't I think I didn't find it that hard because no. a lot of people say "Oh, it's not hard giving up meat and dairy I think dairy was a little bit tricky initially because it is quite addictive um, yeah. But within no time, I think I started noticing a lot of improvements for myself. Like what I was mentioning before, I felt like I had more energy. Um, I noticed that I was improving a lot more in terms of my fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not used to do much in terms of any form of sport. And I all of a sudden went from, yeah, like I said, nothing to doing a lot of running ended up doing a marathon going to the gym all the time just stuff that I never would have thought I would be able to do but I just felt like I could like I just it was unbelievable what all of a sudden my body could do so um, and I think that then became the biggest motivator knowing how well I felt when I was eating this way versus sometimes it's particularly in the beginning when every now and then when you're still with friends and you don't want to make a fuss and you thought oh, you know I'll just eat that that's fine and then you would notice the effect like mm. I just felt tired or just didn't feel right so that then became my motivator um and i think it was difficult during medical school knowing this and knowing that no one else knew mm. um and when people started asking questions about why are you eating that way and you still try and talk about it because i'm not someone who's very confrontational i just don't think that works all that well mm. um and so you try and talk about it but not a lot of people are that interested um, so and it's hard did you find I, that
0: at, at medical school particularly as well people just w- were they interested or did they there was just no not a conversation
3: not really yeah. no um, I think my close friends understand but I think there's also it. it's the feeling of if I delve into this then I'm going to have to confront myself with this and mm-hmm. potentially make these changes and a lot of people don't seem to be ready to do that mm-hmm. and so then they kind of put up a little bit of a barrier and they'll hear to a certain degree what you want to say or have to say. Mm. And then the rest they kind of just don't want to hear, which, like I said, I'm not someone who's confrontational, so I'm not going to shove it in their face. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it's sad to see. Um, and it's, yeah, it's isolating, but hopefully mm. I think it's it's growing and it, I think we'll start to catch on. Mm. Yeah,
0: Excellent. And so I guess um, certainly that highlights why doctors for nutrition is needed because people just want to kind of switch off um there needs to be this institutional change needs to be a real um embrace of the relationship between nutrition and health outcomes and then what okay what type of nutrition and obviously um you know it's it's evidenced And our conversation with dr williams before really just laid it out there that the whole foods plant-based diet is is unequivocally um you know better off for people and um you know, if they're going to go to their doctors to get nutrition advice, if they're going to understand what lifestyle uh, prevention um, aspects they need to change, um, you know, adopting uh, uh, that philosophy towards nutrition is going to be so much better off for them. But there's just a, a massive gap between a community that knows it yeah. and understand it and getting it to, you know, the, um, to the people that, that really need to hear it. So um, we're all thankful that the Doctors for Nutrition's. Uh, here in Australia to help us change uh, some of the you know the foods that they're recommending in schools some of the foods that that the the government advocates or the diet uh, philosophies and also um, with healthcare professionals as well because you know they really are at the moment still I feel that the gatekeepers of um, you know approving uh, you know what we, we know to be uh, the, you know the right way to eat so yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, we work closely together with uh, dieticians and nutritionists, yes. so this is such a vast country to have, we thought it is best to have in every state and territory an uh, ambassador or an ambassador doc as a doctor <laughs> okay. in, the, um, in those places that can represent Doctors for Nutrition in their community and, and, and local, more locally. So uh, almost in every state now, we do have a doctor, a medical doctor who understands whole food plant-based nutrition, mm. lives it, yes. and uh, a dietitian or nutritionist, so that they can work together. Because I think also when the public thinks of doctors and nutrition, but what do they know? Well, we have been educated ourselves, of course, in nutrition, but uh, we worked closely together with nutritionists and dietitians, so that they, and. and who are also supportive 100% of whole food plant-based nutrition. So that way we hope that we can spread our message a a, a lot more effective, Mm -hmm. effectively and um, yeah, on a larger scale. And we work, try to work uh, in three areas. That's of course the, the medical profession. So for doctors and education and providing them with tools. In the end, it's all about the general public, mm. about the people. Mm. So we also want to reach the people directly. And what you mentioned in the beginning, institutional care. Mm. So the hospitals or the Australian Medical Association mm. that comes out with position statements. So on these three levels, we try to bring about change gradually so that in the end, the effect is maximized.
0: Fantastic, and so, and, and professionals and, and um, doctors can actually become a member of Doctors for Nutrition or they can become associated with it? Is that something that's that's in the pipeline?
2: Yes, so um, if you go to doctorsfornutrition.org, you can become a supporter, a donor uh, or a member, but it will not be a member in the sense of voting uh, capacities and that yep. kind of thing, but yes, we need support And, um, of course, we need a lot of financial support to be able to carry out what we are doing.
0: Mm, Fantastic. Well, uh, we're we're proud to to support um, Doctors for Nutrition. And I hope that a lot of our listeners and viewers out there um, now understand a little bit more about the organization and just a way that they maybe become affiliated with it. And certainly, um, you know, the community out there... um, that that is craving this this type of information yeah. and endorsement. Um, it's great that there's some events that they can be a part of. So that event again was in February.
2: In February, it's the Nutrition in Healthcare Conference. Yeah. And we start on the Friday night. We will have over a special doctor from the United States, Neil Barnard. Mm-hmm. And he is a doctor, he's well known through the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine that's already since 1985 uh, advocating for healthy nutrition that organization has already brought about quite some changes on um, institutional level in the USA as well and uh, so the Friday night we start with a beautiful dinner and, and present a presentation by Dr. Bernard and then the whole Saturday we have presentations uh, also other international speakers so very exciting a documentary premiere in Australia of Code Blue.
0: Mm, okay interesting.
2: Yes and then the Sunday there are workshops and also during the conference and especially also in the workshop, shops. Uh, one of the workshops is also uh, aimed at athletes. Okay. So, and nutrition.
0: Mm, interesting. So yeah. okay so be some um, some very high-profile people there, and yes. um, great evidence of people that have followed the lifestyle and, and endorsed it, and had also um, great um, examples of change that they've, they've uh, been able to affect to as well. So um, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, ladies, uh, Laino Juliet, uh, for uh, being here on Power, power, power Plant Radio, <laughs> and. Um, We'll um will enjoy seeing. Uh, we'll actually we'll link uh, the event uh, to for our listeners and viewers uh, just to see if they can uh, if they want to opt in and, and join and be a part of that as well. So yeah,
3: great, fantastic.
0: Thank you very much, ladies. Thanks,
3: Thanks. so awesome. much. Thanks for having us. Okay.